Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And today I'm speaking with Rachel Daddio, who is a registered dietitian at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health's Intensive Outpatient Program. On this episode, Rachel discusses how decisions related to your nutrition can affect your mental health. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode and find it helpful. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm super excited to talk about this topic. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. This is actually something that I personally am very interested in, but can you just tell people who you are, what you do, and why you're here to talk about this? Yeah, so um, my name is Rachel Daddio. I am a registered dietitian, and currently I'm working at um, Princeton House in North Brunswick with uh, mostly with kids with eating disorders, but also people who just struggle with eating for other reasons, depression, anxiety, things like that. Mm -hmm. This is a topic that's really interesting to me because I feel like a big problem with mental health illness is you often feel like there's you have no control over things. And this is just a way that you can kind of take control over over your mood, your mental health, just feeling a little bit better, just something to make you feel like there's something you can do. A lot of times there's this very like helpless feeling associated with depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I just think that this is a great way to just feel like there's something you could do to have a little bit of control over the situation yourself. Totally. I totally agree. And I'm sure we're going to get into this, but like even just for myself, and I think for most people, if you really stop and take stock of like how you're feeling after you eat specific things, you can really kind of notice a difference based on what choices you made in terms of what you ate. Like last night I had Taco Bell for dinner. Uh, and I noticed afterwards that I felt like, you know, I felt like crap. I felt like garbage. But the night before that, I had like a giant salad with like avocado in it and tomatoes and some like mozzarella cheese and stuff. And I felt great for the rest of the night. But I think many of us kind of operate in this space where we don't always take stock of how we're feeling after we eat a meal. I just think that if people were a little bit more mindful of that, then maybe it would start to become a little bit clearer that your food choices can really have a big impact on your mood. Right. I completely agree with that. And you mentioned the word mindful, like not even our choices of just our choices of what we're eating for our meals, but how often do we eat? And like, we're not even paying attention to what we ate, how much Mm -hmm. we ate, how fast we ate, how we're feeling. Are we, are we overly full? Are we still hungry? But you just kind of eat what's in front of you and, and don't even pay any attention to the meal that you're eating at that time. And I think that has a big impact also. Yeah, like you're eating in front of the TV or you're on your phone while you're eating. Eating in the car on the way somewhere else. Totally, totally. Just multitasking too much, checking emails. Like even if it's not, you know, like how many people don't get off their desk to to eat lunch at work? Mm -hmm. You know, they just, you know, they're eating, but they're working through it. And that that all matters. You know, the mindset that we have while we eat, that makes a difference too. Absolutely. And hey, I'm not saying that I'm perfect at this either. I'm definitely guilty of doing that all the time because... It's just kind of the reality of things, you know, you're busy and, you know, you're working, you have kids, whatever the case is, but people are busy. So it's hard to find the time to do that. And, and it's hard to kind of make it a priority, but it can be really helpful. Absolutely. Even if it's just for one meal a day, 
like just really being present, you know, Absolutely. because breakfast, it's so, you know, you're on your way out the door and it's so busy and lunch, a lot of times people are working or running somewhere. And with dinner, you know, you have those nighttime activities. Like you mentioned, if you have a family, there's a lot of times there's other activities going on. It's easy to just go through the whole day and not really even sit down and be able to, to think about your meals. Like I talk to so many people too, who you ask them like, what did you eat yesterday? And it's so hard for them to even remember because they just weren't totally. present in that meal. Yeah. Yeah. And now that you said that, I'm like going through the filing cabinet of my mind trying to figure it out. And all I can apparently remember is Taco Bell. <sighs> Probably because it was delicious, even though it made me not feel good afterwards. But yeah. All right. So I think one of the things we wanted to do first here out, out the gate is just talk about like why this is important or like some different nutrition considerations um, to take into account when you're thinking about your mental health. So I guess when you're thinking about this topic or maybe you're talking about it with clients where is sort of the first place that you like to start just with the population that i work with the first place i like to start is talking about the role of serotonin in depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. so serotonin is a neurotransmitter that research you know nothing's nothing's known but we believe that it's a mood stabilizer Mm -hmm. so serotonin is responsible for mood regulation anxiety happiness even our sleep cycle which like how much does a bad night's sleep throw off all of your mood absolutely absolutely so i think that's a big a really big important factor with serotonin as well so low levels are associated with depression but high levels which we sometimes see from um, medical treatments for depression could increase irritability and actually increase anxiety things like that so we do really need to be this happy middle place mm-hmm. when it comes to serotonin. So it's not, it is too much of a good thing sometimes. So basically what you're saying is that there's oftentimes we think of serotonin as like this important neurotransmitter, that this important hormone that, that makes us feel good. But the flip side of that is you can have too much of it. And it's just as important that you don't have too much as it is that you don't have too little. So like you're saying there's this happy medium. Because I guess what I'm thinking is, a lot of drugs that are prescribed to treat depression and anxiety are what they call SSRIs, um, selective mm-hmm. serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Uh, so that's like Prozac and and Zoloft and, and all those kinds of drugs that most people are probably pretty familiar with. And those are designed to kind of increase your level of serotonin. And oftentimes they're very effective. But what you're saying is it's also important that you don't get too much. Right. There's a very well-documented phenomenon called serotonin sickness. Mm -hmm. And it's just where your levels of serotonin get too high to the point where like a lot of people need medical intervention at that point. So I believe, and again, I'm not prescribing medications or anything, but in my opinion, this is why there's so much trial and error when it comes to depression medications. And a lot of times they're, they have to be upped so many times mm-hmm. just to find that sweet spot for that individual, right. because that's what it is. It's a sweet spot. It's not an exact science. And everybody's, everybody's body metabolizes things differently. So there's really a lot of it is just trial and error. Yeah. And I, I think that's part of the frustration too, when it comes to mental health treatment is there's no magic number. And a lot of the times, unfortunately, it's just kind of trial and error, like you said, until your psychiatrist finds the correct dosage for you. Anyway, tell me more about the the serotonin piece and how it connects to nutrition. So the interesting part about serotonin and nutrition is that over 95% of our serotonin is actually produced in our in our GI tract, which I feel like most people don't know. Like you feel like serotonin is associated with mental health, you'd think it'd be produced in the brain, mm-hmm. but it's really produced in our gut. So 
the science of like food and how it's affecting our mental health, it's a fairly new science. It was first documented in 1925, very, very lightly. Basically, it was the first time someone was like, caffeine is affecting people's minds. Mm. And that's when they're realizing caffeine is a stimulant and it's having this emotional impact on people. But when you think about that, 1925, that's less than 100 years ago. Right. So it is a very new study. And I think that's another thing that makes it so interesting because so much of the other stuff that we're learning about is something that's been researched for hundreds of years. I just want to cut you off before you tell people to stop drinking coffee because we'll have more <laughs> listeners to this podcast. Oh, no. Some people definitely <laughs> just do great with coffee. But other people, I think it's important to know that there could be negative side effects to it. You sure, know, like absolutely. Some people might be feeling really terrible and never make the association like, okay, it's the caffeine. Mm, like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe me as an individual, like this isn't the right thing for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it sort of goes back to this idea or something that I like to think about often is that, you know, certain drugs affect people differently, even though maybe they're pretty commonplace. Like, you know, if you're someone who can socially drink, that's good for you. But at the same time, there may be people who can't drink a drop of alcohol without feeling really hungover the next day or really sick. And it's the same here with caffeine. You know, it can affect people differently, even though it's a commonplace drug. Right. And a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about, like a lot of people might not have a sensitivity to things like a vitamin deficiency, but other people, their vitamin D might drop the slightest bit in the winter and they're feeling severe depression symptoms. Mm -hmm. So it is very individualized. So I know you said that the majority of the serotonin that we have in our bodies is produced in our gut. And I've been, I've heard a lot recently about this term gut biome. Is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. So um, the microbiome in your GI tract is basically good bacteria. Mm-hmm. And cre- having a healthy environment there is what enables our body to produce the serotonin at the most optimal rates. So I say the most optimal, that doesn't mean the most, again. It's just, it's just the level that we should be producing it at. Right. And there's a lot of things that we do in our diet that actually damages this environment, especially American diets are highly processed and very mm-hmm. high in refined sugars. And this actually causes damage in our GI tract, which affects the production of serotonin. So it sounds like these refined sugars and, and things that you were just talking about can really have sort of a negative impact on that serotonin production. Yes. And um, research has actually shown that people who eat more whole food diets, such as a Mediterranean diet or even a Japanese diet, overall, they're showing up to 35% reduced rates of depression. Well, And that's, that's pretty significant, 35%. Like, that's not a small number. Yeah, absolutely. So just in case people don't know what we're talking about when we say Mediterranean diet and Japanese diet, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Mediterranean diet, with what a Mediterranean diet entails, but... Uh, like a Japanese diet, what exactly is that? And and you know what, can you explain Mediterranean diet as well? Yeah, so just overall, it's diets that are higher in fruits and vegetables, unprocessed grains, lean meats, mm-hmm. um, seafood, just whole foods in general. So think about foods that don't have, they're not ingredients. When we say whole foods, like if you buy an apple, it's an apple. You know, like there's no list of ingredients. A piece of salmon is a piece of salmon. Right. Like think about the perimeter of your grocery store. Is, is an easy way to think about whole foods. Not that the other foods are bad, but just eating a diet with more of these whole foods incorporated has been shown to reduce rates of depression overall. Right. So I've heard this before too, like the perimeter of the grocery store. So we're thinking, you know, at least in my grocery store, it's like fruits and vegetables first, then you walk to the back and it's like dairy and meats. And then you walk to the other side and it's, you know, yogurt, coffee and stuff like that. 
So like you said, it's sort of those whole foods that wouldn't have like a list of ingredients, you know, and honestly, that sounds pretty basic. Like the the foods that we've all grown up hearing are healthy for you. Stick to those for the most part, and that should be helpful. Right. And it's not even a matter of sticking to these foods, but even just incorporating more of them into your diet could be very beneficial. Are you trying to tell me that Taco Bell probably wasn't the best thing for my gut biome? I think Taco Bell once in a while is fine, but if you're having it a few <laughs> times a week, maybe not Maybe not the best. Yeah. And you know what? That's something we should probably talk about too. You know, it's cool to enjoy food once in a while that just tastes good. Right. I think that overall, we've kind of been taught from a very young age to ignore what our body is asking for. Like, how mm. old are we when we, you know, you have to start eating on a schedule. Like you mm-hmm. eat at snack time and at lunchtime, like you don't eat when you're hungry. You eat what's in front of you. You don't necessarily eat what you want. And all the kids that are told to finish their plate, we're taught to ignore our body's hunger and fullness cues from a very young age. And again, you throw in the factor of everyone just being so busy that we really lose a lot of the enjoyment in eating. So Mm -hmm. if something like eating Taco Bell once in a while brings you joy, it's absolutely something you should do because that's something else that could boost your mood. Well, it definitely brings me joy. Cheesy gordita crunch, baby. With chicken. (laughs) What's your favorite Taco Bell menu item? So I'm not a big Taco Bell oh, person. Oh, see, I was but, trying. I had a feeling you weren't going to go there as a nutritionist. Um, I'm a big Chipotle person. Ah, I love Chipotle anything. as well. You know, when you had brought up the refined sugar in the gut being being an issue for the serotonin production, my mind immediately went to soda. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess I just want to get your opinion on diet soda, because I noticed that a lot of people drink diet soda because they think it's healthier than you know, regular soda with all the sugar, because that's how it's marketed and seems like that should make sense. But what are we saying, what would you say about incorporating diet soda into your diet? I mean, I know a lot of people who drink it regularly. I will say that there is a lot of mixed information on diet soda. Mm-hmm. In general, as a dietitian, like soda is just the one thing that you know, we say everything in moderation. Soda is the one thing where if you could really just not drink soda, that would be great. Any soda. Soda in general is just really not great. There's a lot of mixed information about diet soda. I know that when it first came out, it was controversial because there were incidences in research with rats or other rodents where the artificial sugars had produced tumors. Mm-hmm. I will say that this has been in circulation in the U.S. for decades at this point, and they have not been relating tumors to diet soda. So Mm -hmm. again, like we are not rodents. So just because it had an effect in rodents or may or may not have had an effect, it doesn't mean it's going to have an effect in us. Diet soda really was made for people who, I mean, I should say artificial sweeteners were made for people that cannot have sugar, Mm -hmm. like diabetics. Overall, ideally, I'd say, again, like try not to have too much soda, but if you want to have a soda once in a while, have it once in a while. If If you're the type of person who's drinking diet soda because you need to have three sodas a day, I think that it's more important to work on that you know, like, do you really need to have as much soda as you're having, which I know a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I don't think any one food item is the problem. I don't think there's going to be anything that you tell me like, well, I drink soda. Like, well, what's the rest of everything else you're eating and drinking look like? Right. That one item, it's not it's not going to be the problem. It's just a matter of finding a balance overall. And again, if you're if you're having like two liters of soda a day, well, yeah, that's a lot. That's a problem. Yeah, I guess I was just looking for some clarification from you in terms of, and I think you gave it, which is Basically, you shouldn't be relying on any one thing to get you through the day multiple times a day. So because I also had 
I had that idea in the back of my head about the tumors thing, because I had definitely heard that about the artificial sweeteners and the diet sodas. So I'm really happy that you cleared that up for me. But it sounds like just in general, soda is probably something you don't want to be an everyday part of your diet, whether we're talking about regular soda with sugar or diet sodas. Yeah, it's just like something that's more of like a treat. Like most people also Mm -hmm. don't have ice cream every single day. Right. Yeah. You know? Um. So do you think the issue there would be more about the caffeine intake than it would be necessarily about artificial sweeteners? Again, like we were talking about earlier, everyone is is different with caffeine. Like mm-hmm. some people, it doesn't affect them at all. So I wouldn't go as far as to say like this is the caffeine recommendation because everyone is different. Right. I just think in general, soda is like I'll, – I'll use Coke like as an example. It's mm-hmm. just very corrosive. So my my reason that I never liked – Coke is my dad is actually a cement mason, and if he accidentally got concrete in a pipe, he would just pour a Coke down there and uh, it would dissolve it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, imagine what that, like, you know what I mean? Think about mm-hmm. regularly ingesting that. It just can't be great for your insides, you right. know? Yeah, it makes sense. So, we just talked a little bit about sort of the GI tract, the gut biome, and serotonin production. What What else do you think, or where else do you kind of go with people when you're talking about nutrition and things that they can do or things that might be overlooked in, in terms of what they can do for their mental health. So um, there's a few things. One is we talked about serotonin. The building block for serotonin is actually tryptophan, which I feel like a lot of people have heard about, especially around Thanksgiving. Tryptophan, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's an amino acid that is very prevalent in Turkey. So the the reason it comes up is everyone says like, oh, well, that's why you get so sleepy after right. eating a Thanksgiving meal. Yes. You get sleepy because you're literally feasting more than you probably <laughs> eat the other 364 days a year. Yeah, yeah. But tryptophan does have some very good qualities. And once again, it's the building block of serotonin. So mm-hmm. foods that are high in tryptophan can help increase our serotonin production just by making sure the materials that we need to build it are present. So foods that are high in tryptophan, any complete protein, which is any animal source, will have tryptophan in it. Some protein sources that are not animal sources, such as nuts and seeds, a lot of a lot of whole grain breads, oats, and even apples and bananas, they do have some tryptophan present. Oh. But again, like the best sources would be poultry, like chicken or turkey, tuna, dairy products, things like that. Okay. So serotonin is the neurotransmitter we were talking about that's sort of really important in regulating your mood. And then tryptophan is one of the building blocks. And... All these foods that you just mentioned are high in tryptophan, so obviously that's the those are the building blocks that you need for this neurotransmitter to be created. Correct. Okay. And um, I just wanted to throw in there too that people with depression have actually been found to have low levels of tryptophan on testing mm-hmm. compared to those who do not have depression. So it is something that is it's clinically seen like this isn't just something that we're guessing like oh well maybe this will help Mm -hmm. we are actually we have reported that people with depression have low levels of tryptophan compared to those that do not Mm -hmm. just out of curiosity have they Mm -hmm. done studies where they've discovered that people who had sort of these low levels of tryptophan and then started ingesting more tryptophan heavy foods that those levels sort of normalize after that So there's a lot of deficiencies that are related to depression, Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to prove causation. Right. A lot of these things are correlated. Absolutely. Um, And especially with diet, it's hard to get people to follow. Totally. You know, like think of someone who eats a very highly refined diet to 
going to like like we were talking about a very whole food rich diet like the Mediterranean diet it's it's hard to create that environment but one thing i will say is one deficiency that we have very clearly linked with a type of depression is vitamin D with seasonal depression mm -hmm. and supplementation of vitamin D has been found to improve those symptoms okay so i feel that again like one there's no downside to eating a healthier diet, to supplementing these vitamins that you're deficient in. There's there's nothing negative about it. Mm -hmm. So I I would just say it's definitely worth a try if it's something that you're struggling with. Um, another thing I will say is there have been studies where supplementing certain things have been shown to improve the effectiveness of antidepressants. Oh, so interesting. A main one, one of the most interesting ones of that that I found was omega-3s. Mm -hmm. So we hear about omega-3s when it comes to heart health and things like that. And again, like that's something else. It's not that the world needs more omega-3s in their in their diet. It's just that with the American diet, our our diet is lacking omega-3 fatty acids. So this population benefits from supplementing omega-3s. And research has shown significant improvement in depression symptoms and mood stabilization, even just with omega-3s alone, but also in conjunction with an antidepressant. Okay, so we just kind of talked about two separate things, so I just want to jump back a little bit. Okay, um, sorry. No, no, it's great. It's awesome. So the first one is vitamin D, and it sounds like what you said is that there's definitely been shown to be more of a correlation between depression symptoms and a vitamin D deficiency. So can you maybe explain that one a little bit more? In my opinion, one thing that I think is an issue that's lacking in a lot of this research is for a long time, everyone had the mentality that depression and anxiety were problems with your head. Like there wasn't an organic cause for it. Right. So even with us talking about serotonin, the role of neurotransmitters in illness is well documented and well studied in things that are like Parkinson's and schizophrenia are both linked with dopamine. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's very well known. But I think that this is a new science when they're looking at these neurotransmitters and vitamins and minerals in the role of mental health. Because again, like people didn't think a mental health issue was an organic, a physical problem. Mm -hmm. People are told, you know, like suck it up and it'll get better. And But it's, it's a real illness. It's not like if someone has a broken arm, no one's going to tell them you'll get over it. Right. You know? So a lot of this research is new. But um, seasonal depression is very common in the winter because the reduced hours of sunlight and also just people going outside less because it's cold. And the recommended treatment for that is a vitamin D supplementation. So our bodies actually produce vitamin D when the sun is on your skin. It's like mm -hmm. a reaction on, on your skin surface. So that's why there's reduced vitamin D in the winter. Right. And it's well documented that there are lower levels of vitamin D in depressed individuals. Mm -hmm. But some people really only experience this seasonally. So it is a lot of people get that recommendation to take a vitamin D supplement in the winter just yeah. to kind of counteract this phenomenon. Sure. And I guess I'm just thinking, too, it's more it's like this correlation causation debate. Are people getting less vitamin D because it's cold outside and they're and they're not going outside and then that's making them depressed? Or are they depressed which obviously causes them to not leave their house as much to not go outside to not be as social so then that's causing them to get less vitamin d 
And maybe it's a bit of a chicken or, or the egg thing. You're completely right with what you're saying. Like, which one which one is the issue? But either way, vitamin D supplementation has been found to be beneficial. Great. Another thing that's very important that I feel like a lot of people don't realize is vitamin D is one of the few fat-soluble vitamins, too. So it really does need to be taken with food mm. to be absorbed. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, like, if you're going to take a vitamin D supplement... You should take it with some fat afterwards. So like um, have a salad with some olive oil on it afterwards or have some cheese after you eat it. Is that what we're saying? I mean, any pretty much anything you eat is going to have some fat in it that will mm -hmm. help the absorption. So I wouldn't – I don't want to like overcomplicate things and say like you have to have this with a specific food. But just yeah. eating it with food does help it get absorbed better. Beautiful. And then I think also the other really interesting thing about vitamin D is that – like you just said, it's one of those things that you don't necessarily have to get from food. Like if you're outside in the sun all day, you're probably going to produce optimal levels of vitamin D naturally, but that's just not realistic for most people nowadays. Right. And obviously where you live plays a big role in that too. Like yeah. I'm, seasonal depression is a much bigger problem in Alaska than it is in Florida. Okay, great. And then the other thing you were talking about is the omega-3s. I think what you said is that they've actually proven to help antidepressants be more effective. So can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Omega-3s are a type of fatty acid. That's like when people, a lot of people take fish oil mm -hmm. or, um, think, you know, it's a very common supplement and it does have a lot of benefits in its own just for like joint health. Mm -hmm. um, we hear about omega-3s a lot with heart health. And it's not, I was saying before, like, it's not like the world needs more omega-3s. It's that with our highly refined, highly processed diet, we are lacking omega-3s in general. Right. Like the American diet, just in general, we could benefit from increasing omega-3s in our diet just to improve our ratio of the types of fat that we have in our diet. Mm -hmm. So omega-3 is a type of unsaturated fat. And research has shown that either with omega-3s alone or when used in conjunction with an antidepressant, omega-3s improve depression symptoms and mood stabilization. Wow. Okay. So even if you're not on an antidepressant, just taking omega-3s alone was proven to have a significant impact on people's mood? Yes. Wow. And this kind of opens up another door of if omega-3s are this helpful, is it something like the vegetable oils that are very common, again, in our food system? Mm-hmm. Is that something that could be increasing depressive symptoms in our population? Right. So when I think of omega-3s, I think of, like you said, fish oil. So salmon, other kinds of fish. I know I've heard that sardines are really high in omega-3s. But primarily when I hear people talk about omega-3s, I hear them talking about fish. What are some other sources that people can get omega-3s from? So um, it's also found in, in like nuts and seeds, like okay. chia seeds, walnuts, mm -hmm. um, even tofu or soybeans like edamame, kidney beans, Brussels sprouts, things like that. Flax seeds, eggs also have omega-3s okay. as well. You are right about sardines. But um, <laughs> there's certain oils that are higher in omega-3s versus, like I said, a vegetable oil, which would kind of be detrimental to that that ratio that we're looking to improve. Mm -hmm. So um, we mentioned fish oil, but also soybean oil, canola oil, um, linseed oil. Those are higher in omega-3s as well. Oh, interesting. Okay, so some of those vegetable oils, olive oil gets all the press, 
You know, mm-hmm. olive oil just gets all the press. But everybody always says that that's sort of like the healthiest oil you you can consume. At least that's what I tend to hear. But it sounds like a lot of these other vegetable oils are actually high in omega-3s. So obviously that's a good thing too. It's it's funny because there's certain things like there's no one food that's the cure-all and all mm-hmm. like the best. So even even olive oil, it is a great source of polyunsaturated fatty acids which is, you know, it's a it's a great thing that we do need more of in our diet. But um, olive oil has something called a low smoke point. Yes. So you really don't want to cook at high temperatures with it. Like that that actually creates its own carcinogen. Oh. So everything has a reason, like a time when it should be used and a time when it shouldn't. And olive mm-hmm. oil is wonderful, but it's not good for everything. Right. So olive oil, ideally, and I know you don't want to give, get too specific, but is great like on salads and stuff, but it sounds like something you don't necessarily want to like sear meat in or something like that. Is that, is yeah, that right? Yeah, or like cook on the grill. Okay, you're right. Things right. like that. Okay. Like there's a lot of other oils that have a much higher smoke point, like um, avocado oil is great for the grill. But every, like I said, everything has its purpose. Even right. like if you want a soda, you know, on, on Saturday night, like that's fine. There's nothing that's going to be one, one bad decision. It's just your overall behaviors. You know, like bacon gets a really bad rap. Like bacon is the worst thing for you. I know a study came out that said every piece of bacon you eat takes like six minutes off. Oh, your I life. remember when that came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. it's like, and and or like eating one piece of bacon is as bad as smoking a cigarette. Uh-huh, these right. these scary headlines, and it's like really like having a piece of bacon is not bad. If you're one of these people yeah. that's having bacon multiple meals a day, and we all know someone that does that, right, right, having bacon twenty times a week, like maybe mm-hmm. that's not the best thing for you. <laughs> totally. But you know have bacon. No one food is going to do that much damage in, in moderation, you yeah, know? Yeah, I totally agree. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. Tune in next week when Rachel and I continue our conversation and she discusses more about how specific diets can affect your mental health. Have a great week.